0: Welcome to It's All Your Fault on True Story FM, the one and only podcast dedicated to helping you identify and deal with the most challenging human interactions, those that are with someone who may have a high-conflict personality. I'm Megan Hunter, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Eddy. Hi, everybody. We're the co-founders of the High Conflict Institute in San Diego, California. In today's episode, we are taking listener questions, so thank you for sending those in to us. Um, There's a lot of them, so we'll get to a few today, uh, mostly covering family situations, psychopathy, and ADHD. But first, a couple of quick reminders. We'd love to hear from you about your high-conflict situations. Have you dealt with someone with a high-conflict personality, been a target of blame, experienced violence or abuse, or maybe you simply dread just seeing that person again, but might have to at home tonight or work tomorrow. So send us your questions and uh, we'll, we just might discuss them on the show. You can submit them by clicking the submit a question button at our website, highconflictinstitute.com podcast, emailing us at podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or dropping us a note on our socials. Please know that we are not diagnosing anyone in our discussions in any episode. We're just discussing patterns of behavior and how to improve interactions and manage relationships with someone who may have a high-conflict personality. You'll find all the notes, show notes, and links at highconflictinstitute.com podcast as well. Please give us a rate or review and tell your friends, colleagues, or families about us, especially if they're dealing with a high-conflict situation. We're very grateful. And now, on with the show. It's really great to uh, be taking some listener questions and to see how many we have uh, amassed since we started the podcast several months ago. So let's just dive right into the first one. Hello, Bill and Megan. If a high conflict family member accuses you of basically not living up to their expectations, should I address the specific accusations from my perspective after providing empathy, attention and respect? Um, I'm new to the podcast and so far haven't heard about conflicts being discussed or resolved outright. Is the technique more of a deflection? Um, should I ignore hurtful comments? Oh, I like that that last one a lot. All right, Bill, what do you think? Well,
1: this is excellent question. It's it's really quite broad and I think we have an earlier episode, something about our CARS method, which is four steps really for dealing with conflicts and ear statements that show empathy, attention, and respect are really one of several techniques that you can use. So ear statements are often a place to start. And as you said, um, it's good to, to after you give empathy, attention, and respect then you may choose to deal with issues. Now, one of the things with family members who may have high conflict personalities is we have a saying that's often helpful, and that is the issues often not the issue. The personality is the issue. So you need to really decide, is there a real issue here? Or is it just the way the person approaches all conflicts? So they may just be blaming because that's how they approach all conflicts. And that's one of the key characteristics of high-conflict people with high-conflict personalities. So first is deciding, is there an issue really that needs to be addressed here? Second thing is the past is often kind of a quicksand when you get to dealing with high-conflict people. You can just get stuck, you get deeper and deeper the more you try to resolve the past. So in terms of resolving a past issue about past behavior... Um, it's often just not going to be possible if this is their personality. Now, a reasonable person might say, well, gee, I wonder what my part was in that. High conflict people don't look at their part in things. They don't connect the dots back to what they did. So you've got to decide, is this a, a real current issue that needs to be addressed, or is this an old issue and it may be better? just as as you said here, deflecting from that subject and focus on something else. Now, we talk about analyzing options and choices. That's the A in the CARS method. So connect with empathy, attention, and respect, then analyze options or choices. And that's where you may choose to go if you have an issue that does need to be addressed about the future. You know, how something's going to be handled. Are you having somebody uh joining you for dinner if this is a family issue, uh, things like that? And that's where it helps to look at choices and kind of bounce it back to a high conflict person, and say, well, here's the choices as I see it. And then maybe they'll choose choice A or choice B, and it may not make you happy, but it may kind of resolve things at this point or for now. Another thing is acceptance. Uh, High-conflict people don't accept the past and things that have happened. They keep fighting about the past, trying to relitigate the past, and even change memories of the past. Um, But but that's really not going to help. In many ways, as human beings, we have a system of grieving and healing that we go through for loss. So there may be something in the past that you regret, wish it could have happened otherwise, But again, it's in the past, so you don't want to focus on the past, especially with a high-conflict person. Focus more on the future. Um, You may have to set limits with them and say, if you do X, Y, Z, then I'm going to have to do A, B, C. You know, I can't be part of that. You can say what you can be part of, what you can't be part of. High conflict, people may treat you badly in the family and yet expect you to do favors for them. Well you might say, if you do this, I can't do that anymore. So those kinds of things. So those are the the general principles. Um, should And last is, should I ignore hurtful comments? And in many ways, it's often wise to ignore hurtful comments because they're really not about you. They're about this person venting their frustration with what they've gotten themselves into.
0: But one of the hardest things in the world for a lot of people to do is ignore those hurtful comments. Yes. Because they hurt, right?
1: (laughs) Yes. But much better to deal with those with somebody else who can be empathetic with you and say, you know what someone said to me today? Megan, you know what someone said to me today? It was just horrible. And you can say, oh, that's too bad. And then I feel better. Whereas if I get that person to say, "Oh, that's too bad," which will never happen, um, I just get stuck in the quicksand again.
0: Yeah, and I I see a lot of folks that that do get in that quicksand, just trying to, uh, I guess, having this wishful thinking or this false belief or or hopeful belief, I guess, that um, that that person will have some empathy back, or some understanding, or some insight, and uh, you just have to. Put that in a whole different column. You're just not going to reach that with them and you're not going to get that feel that empathy or that understanding. So it, it just ends up going around kind of in a, a circle and you get right back in the quicksand.
1: Yeah. I think that sums up really. This is a good general question.
0: Uh, just one more note on it is the listener asked, is the technique more of a deflection? Um, so I guess it's a deflection, but I get, I, I'm curious. Would you think of it as more of a diversion, diverting from conflict?
1: I think it calms the conflict often so that it maybe makes the conflict unnecessary. So you switch to an ear statement with empathy, attention, and respect. The other person calms down too, and now you may realize you don't really even have a conflict. I wouldn't say it's a deflection or a diversion all the time. But there may be times where you say, wow, you know, I hear how you're feeling. I'm sorry, that's, that's frustrating, or I'm saddened that that's frustrating. Now let's talk about what we can do today and, in a sense, deflect or divert that issue, put it on a shelf somewhere because it doesn't need to be addressed.
0: Okay. Well, good. I hope that was was helpful to the listener. I'm sure it was. Um, and now we'll move on to... Um, an issue about a friendship. Uh, so here it is. How do you decide when to use ear statements and BIFF to create connection with an uh, HCP and when to just take distance or avoid them? I have an old friend who has many borderline high conflict personality attributes, which led to a pattern of volatile and very personal feeling outbursts and manipulative behavior. I've expressed boundaries and discomfort with them in the past, but it only seems to trigger more intensity and blame, which makes me less enthusiastic to try again. I've often discussed with my own therapist the pros and cons of reaching out again with new techniques such as BIF, but I'm wary of successfully recreating a connection that will be upsetting or difficult for me all over again in the long term. And I I think probably a lot of people do struggle with this. You know, how do you make those decisions? When you have a dilemma,
1: yeah, and it and it is a dilemma, a very real dilemma. And the way the way I look at it is, it's a question of how close or how far to be. And and the reality is, we all have, uh, you know, they say our brains are made for about one hundred and fifty relationships, and so we have people we're closest to, we're farther from, and that. You have to decide how close or how far to be one of the th- it really depends how severe it is that person's behavior if they have borderline personality traits and are a high conflict person. the high conflict part is blaming, and the borderline part is generally mood swings, and so some people have it very severe and very blaming, and you're probably better off to not even be in a relationship with them. But there's other people with borderline traits, for example, maybe even personality disorder, who can be delightful to be with as long as you're good at setting limits and knowing when when it's time to be uh, separate from them, when to be together. So it may come down to thinking about, is there... Uh, a reason that I do want to be in a relationship with this person. Maybe this is somebody you like going to movies with, but if you're around them for four hours or longer, something's going to blow up and you'll get blamed for something. Maybe this is somebody, you know, you're in a club with and you enjoy the club activities. Maybe you've been on a committee and in a in a a low dose, it works fine. And this is a creative, friendly person because people with personality traits span the whole range of intelligence, abilities, um, all of this. It's just the difficulty in close relationships where they become blaming and angry and unable to manage their emotions. So my answer to, to this person would be, Are you interested in a relationship for some reason, and can you manage a relationship that gets the most out of it for that reason without getting into the troublesome parts? And if you can work that balance, then, of course, using ear statements and written BIF responses may be a way to, to reconnect But be careful you don't raise expectations. That's the other huge, big area. Don't raise expectations. Now we're going to be best friends and get together every weekend. That's the thing is set your expectations realistic. And this really helps in the workplace. Like you get someone borderline high conflict behavior in the workplace, someone you start to get to know, get to know people kind of step by step. So you see, whoa, is this someone, it's easier to not get in too deep than to back off if you did. So kind of ease your way in and realize there's a lot of high conflict people out there. We estimate maybe 10% of people. And so doesn't mean don't have a relationship. It means have, have good boundaries and manage your relationship if you can. And if you can't, then there's going to be some people you're healthier to not be around. So it is a dilemma.
0: So what would be a healthy way to set a, a boundary, set a limit with someone? Let's say you've, you've made the decision to reconnect with this friend and you're you know going to try to take it slowly, step by step. How do you set a boundary about your time or what you'll tolerate?
1: One thing is don't talk about your relationship with the person. And that's something they recommend with alcoholics and addicts in, in recovery is they talk about their relationship with everybody and it's too intimate. It draws people in too close and then things blow up. So instead, talk about things, talk about outside things, talk about interests Um the description said, uh, I've expressed boundaries and discomfort with them in the past, but only seems to trigger more intensity and blame. And that's exactly what happens if you talk about relationships with a high conflict person, they get defensive. So don't trigger defensiveness. So you might say, you know, I've been, I've been you know, out of touch for a while, It'd be nice to get together for dinner. Or it'd be nice to go to a movie. And then just do that activity and don't raise expectations of going beyond that.
0: Being BFFs.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And remember, high conflict people and people with personality disorders, that comes out in close relationships. So maybe don't be as close. And then you may be able to have a stable friendship.
0: Yeah, you can be a supportive friend without being too close. Yeah. Or too distant.
1: It's finding that balance, not too rejecting, not too close. Yep.
0: Right, right. Okay, good. Um, Thank you for all that. So now we'll switch into a little bit different area here and not necessarily our expertise. And I think uh, you'll have a lot to say about that, Bill, or a little bit to say. (laughs) Uh, So here's the question. Can you talk about ADHD behaviors that create chaos, confusion, and external projection that are very damaging for the non-ADHD person? And also, please talk about why it is very difficult to detect, especially when ADHD coexists with HCP traits.
1: Well, this is a confusing area. ADHD is a mental health diagnosis, attention deficit with hyperactivity disorder, and it's not an area of specialization for us. We focus a lot on personality disorders and the interpersonal side of personality disorders, which is really the high conflict behavior in many cases, but not all. Now, attention deficit has some similarities. And so it's, it's an area where people's functioning is, is impaired, by generally the inability to pay attention, the energy of hyperactivity um, over a period of time. And so what happens is that can create chaos and the person isn't intending to and often intends not to. But it's just part of their nature. And it's like it emanates from within. It's beyond just cognitively telling yourself to calm down. Uh, People with ADHD just have this extra energy and lack of focus. So... If it overlaps with high conflict personality, again, the theme of high conflict personalities is blame. And so you get someone who's uh, hyperactive, has a hard time focusing their attention, and it's all your fault you know look at what i did i spilled my soda and it's your fault you made me do this um, that kind of thing or i didn't get my project done and my paper in on time and the dog ate the paper uh, or whatever it is and so it's 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 difficult focusing and so the question really comes to when it coexists with high conflict traits you're gonna you're gonna feel the brunt of it if you're around someone like this. And what I've been told, and I'm not an expert on ADHD, but by people who are, that our techniques are very uh, helpful for people with ADHD. So
0: our meaning HCI's High Conflict Institute's um, what to do techniques, right, with with exactly. high conflict situations. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the skills we teach so ear statements, empathy, attention, and respect. I can see how frustrated you are, and and I recognize that, and something like that. Um, our Biff, you know, brief, informative, friendly, and firm writing. Setting boundaries is such a big issue with high-conflict people, and that's an issue with ADHD, is people can't stop themselves, so you need to stop them and say, you need to sit down right now. I need to tell you some things. If you don't sit down and let me tell you some things, I'm going to have to leave and do something else for right now. Something like that the way someone, you know, maybe they're yelling at you over the phone. You say, you're going to have to stop yelling at me on the phone or I'm going to hang up. I see you've chosen for me to hang up. Okay, let's talk later when you can be calmer. Things like that are helpful with ADHD. If it's a big problem, you need to consult with someone that really specializes in that a therapist for example and sometimes for some people medications helpful so those are some possibilities but from the skills for dealing with high conflict people yes they really can be applied with ADHD
0: right and i've i've just been reading a, um some research on overlap between borderline personality disorder and ADHD and uh, because the overlap between them in, you know includes things like impulsivity, emotional dysregulation, and interpersonal impairment, um it can really make the uh diagnosis very difficult um so it's it's less important to, like you said to really focus on maybe the labeling of it or figuring out what it is, and instead focus on the the what to do and using the skills um because those skills. Really work across the board with, with any upset people and people who are needing those around them to, to help them by setting some limits.
1: One thing to add here is all the skills we teach, you know, ear statements, Biff responses, setting limits, um, making proposal. We've just got, I don't know, dozens at this point of skills don't hurt anybody. And so you don't have to figure out, does this person have a diagnosis of something? Therefore, I'm going to write a BIF response. You write a Biff response to healthy, ordinary people, to anybody. So think of these as healthy, practical people skills.
0: Mm, yeah. Oh, I, I know you love the people skills terminology, and I do too, because this is what it's about. It's about people skills. Yeah. And there was a, another uh, que- listener submitted a question about ADHD, and um, I think we've answered most of it, but they're also asking, you know, is the person who's responding to Someone with HCP or uh, with a high conflict personality, if they have ADHD, could it be, uh, could it get kind of messy? Again, I think we probably just would say, let's focus on the skills, right?
1: Exactly. In other words, but keep in mind, you know, if things get messy, is you always have choices yourself and how close to be or how far to be. And in, in some ways, this is similar to the question from before is you you know, you know don't have to accept bad behavior towards you. The question is, can you manage the relationship or do you need to get more distance in the relationship or is this a relationship that needs to end? And those are all dilemmas with no clear-cut answer. You have to figure yourself, often with the help of a therapist. So we always encourage counseling if you're dealing with someone who's difficult.
0: Yeah, and if you if you know you're not, you're not in a position to uh, be able to attend some kind of counseling, I've found that people can do a little bit of analysis themselves, like using um, analyzing options in our cars method, and a, a way I've been looking at it lately is 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 saying you've got a dilemma, right? HCPs bring us dilemmas, <laughs> and we have to make decisions about them and because we have our own default uh, of how we make decisions with uh, in relation to our relationships with other people, using these skills like BIF and ear. Can take a little bit more time because we, we forget sometimes we just automatically react. So I have found that, that using a dilemmas and decisions list is a great way to analyze options. And if the first part is just that, that it slows you down, right? <laughs> Instead of just reacting, you're saying, okay, I need to stop. I need to do something different here and, and figure out what choices I do have and then make that list and then um, of, of all your options in the matter about the dilemma and then Cross out any that are, you know, coming from your own strong emotion uh, that may be pretty negative or uh, aggressive, anything that's extreme, anything that is, you know, is defensive and basically you're left with the best option both for you and for the other person.
1: Yeah, those are good suggestions.
0: Yeah, I've been using this a lot in, in coaching. And, um, what I've found is, is kind of every week there's a new dilemma, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. What do I do about this, Megan? And I say, okay, do a dilemmas and decisions list and then analyze it. And it's really fascinating. It's almost magical <laughs> what, what they end up with because it just strips away all of your own high conflict thinking or your overly emotional thinking because you're emotionally hooked, perhaps. Um, and maybe some of your, your thoughts are, a little jumbled because you are emotionally hooked. So I um, I found it to be pretty useful. And hopefully that would be helpful in any situation like this.
1: And that's helpful with ADHD because it helps the person focus, people around them and the person themselves. So that's a real good suggestion.
0: Nice. All right. So now we're going to take yet another huge shift. And um, we'll go back to a question about a, a current world event of the war in Ukraine and um, Putin. Um, we did a an episode on this a few weeks ago. And I know, Bill, you've written a, an article that's received quite a lot of attention about Putin being um, perhaps uh, a malignant narcissist. So the question is, uh, how did you come to suggest malignant narcissism rather than a psychopath in regard to Putin?
1: It's really... Easy, I think he qualifies easily for both. So they're different, slightly different types of diagnosing. And with psychopaths, you're often talking about people uh, in the prison population. You're talking about people who not only lack empathy and remorse, but may enjoy hurting other people. There's the, the mental health professionals, the psychologists, and all have a psychopathy checklist of 22 questions that they ask. And there's a lot of studies done with prisoners, and many of them fit this. I'm not going to go through this because we're not teaching people to diagnose other people in this show, but more to be aware of the types of problems. So the background, yeah. So you've got, he really um, doesn't have empathy, doesn't have remorse, is happy to lie and deceive. We've seen that so well. There's the conning aspect these characteristics that I'm describing right now, lying, deceiving, and conning, also go with antisocial personality disorder, which is part of the malignant narcissist. That's a narcissist plus antisocial personality. But not getting too deep into diagnoses, and you can read that that article, as Megan mentioned, is to realize there really are people out there like this, and that's what catches people by surprise. People really don't believe there are people willing to be this harmful and destructive. And to be to be frank, I think political leaders have been caught by surprise of how willing Putin has been to be a butcher, really, and to uh, wipe out communities. The thing is, we talk all the time about patterns of behavior. Whatever it's called, look at his patterns. He did this in Syria. He did this in Chechnya. He did this in Crimea. He's a sneaky, dangerous guy. And maybe that's the best diagnosis. If you know you're dealing dealing with a sneaky, dangerous guy, You want to get people together to set limits on them, and you want to get out if you're in a relationship with them. And they can exist in a one-to-one level. They can exist um, in communities, in the workplace. They can exist in in almost any group of people. Most don't have this, but some do. The psychopath, they say, is about 1% of the U.S. population. About four percent have the antisocial or sociopath personality. That's that's a lot of people. If you're looking at uh, one out of every twenty-five, so if you've got 150 friends, uh, you've got you may have one or two of these folks. So the the thing is, we don't want to scare people. We just want to make people aware and to realize in today's world it helps for you to know there's some people you need to be cautious around
0: for me it was i that was new information about our brains have room for about 150 relationships. And I find that fascinating, number one. And number two, especially in relation to social media, where we have some people have hundreds or thousands of (laughs) so-called friends. um, uh, And I know many are just followers, especially for celebrities. But for those of us who, not me or you, of course, we're not into social media, but a lot of people do have hundreds of friends on there. And I think it's just got to be overwhelming for or the, the mind to try to think of, of all of those. Although, you know, I guess if your brain has capacity for just 150, it'll probably tell you to slow down or stop, right, <laughs> at
1: some point. <laughs> well, I, maybe I should say 150 meaningful relationships. Meaningful, yeah. And yeah. this doesn't mean close. So maybe co-worker relationships, people whose names you know, and you know something about them. And if you figure relatives and if you get to get uh you've been around for a few years, you can think of people that fit in i've you know a college roommate that's probably that's probably one of those one fifty I've got some other friends who I don't see very often, but they're in that hundred and fifty and and some of the research suggests that as human beings, if you go back in time. Before we became agricultural and we were hunter gatherers, that we tended to live in communities of about 150 people, so that our brains may really have have adapted to having a community that size. And that makes today's world very confusing, because many of the people you deal with today, you know nothing about, but they'll confuse you because they'll act like a friendly person. And that's where we get people like Putin as leaders and countries thinking, oh, this is a good guy who'll make us feel good without realizing, hey, is this guy a, a con artist? Is this guy uh, deceptive, lying, all of that. So our brains are trusting. And, and in today's world, you've got to be a little more cautious.
0: That's mm, so true. I was thinking about my 150 and, you know, faces and names start popping into my mind and fortunately I can still remember the names but uh, just in my family alone I come from a large, large family and I, there's at least 150 <laughs> right in that, so there's my community I'm full up um, anyway, well that was really fascinating um, so you'll find a link to our books and some more links to articles and uh, some courses that we have for both professionals and individuals to learn uh, how to use BIF and EAR and setting limits and making choices and proposals and all kinds of things. So um, those will be in the, the links. And one of the best books, if you want to learn about the CARS method and really understanding the different personality types is It's All Your Fault, 12 Tips for Managing the Others Who blame others for everything. Sorry <laughs> I'm trying to remember the subtitle off the top of my head. Um, and Bill wrote this I think back in 2008 or nine and it's 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 a classic it's a standard and it's where we point people really for getting um, some really good information. So you can get that anywhere books are sold. <music> Next week. You'll want to listen in as we have a special guest. Um, her name is Catherine Mattis. She's the founder and CEO of Civility Partners, which is an HR consulting firm focused specifically on helping organizations create respectful and positive workplace cultures. We've been doing a lot more work in, in this and and getting a lot of requests from organizations about bullying and just workplace culture um, and high conflict situations. So she'll be talking about us or with us about Civility bullying and, and all those workplace conflict issues. So you won't want to miss it. Send your questions to podcast at com or submit them to highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. And uh, until next week, have a great week. Keep learning about high conflict uh, patterns of behavior so you can avoid it in your life, manage it in your life and influence those around you who may have a high conflict personality. And in that way, you will find The Missing Piece, P-E-A-C-E. It's All Your Fault is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Wolf Samuels, John Coggins, and Ziv Moran. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at truestory.fm or highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.